So, um, talk today is titled The Buddhist Santa Claus. <laughs> and there are um, quite a few, I mean, you know, a Buddha nature manifests in an infinite variety of forms, and whether it's the uh, sounds or flowers. But uh, in the human pantheon, there are a number of human images of, of, of Buddha figures that we often see portrayed in statues or scrolls. And um, most of us are familiar with the traditional historical Buddha, Shakyamuni Buddha, who's often portrayed as in the very serene, smiling meditation posture. And uh, sometimes you see him portrayed in the, his kind of pre-enlightenment ascetic kind of um, frame where his body was very thin from many years of asceticism uh, prior to his enlightenment. And uh, you know, following his enlightenment, it's much more a serene kind of figure, someone who allowed himself to, you know, moderation in, in the pleasures of life. No, one, no need to deny ourselves what uh, we need as human beings. So you're all familiar with the, with the Buddha statues. Um, in the Zen tradition too, there are a number of what are called uh, legendary figures or uh, bodhisattvas, um, such as the, uh, the Bodhidharma figure that um, I've mentioned before, Bodhidharma, the legendary founder of Zen in, in, in China, who came from India. He's often portrayed as a very fierce kind of with a grimacing kind of face, with big bulging eyes, and uh, and um, and sometimes you see what the, the uh, a bodhisattva of compassion, uh, wisdom, known as Manjus, Manjusri, who is often portrayed with the uh, with a with a sword, a sword of wisdom that cuts through, and often riding a lion, um, often seen on the on the uh, altar in Zen Buddhist temples. But another figure that you're all familiar with, and uh, it was Adele actually who asked me about this last time, is the, uh, what's often known as the Laughing Buddha, or the Buddha with the big belly that you see. And uh, I've put him on the table, he's a little fellow there, and uh, the particular manifestation, he's waving, you know, cooling himself with a fan, and he's got the, uh, the sackcloth which he carries on his back. And he's often seen in Chinese restaurants. Um, he um, is actually based upon a 10th century eccentric uh, Zen monk who was known as Putai uh, in, um, in Chinese or Hutai in, in uh, in Japanese. Uh, that was his nickname, not his real name. And his nickname was basically Sackcloth because he walked around with a sackcloth. And uh, he would wander around from village to village and um, with a big smile on his face and and he would, you know, arrive and it was maybe at the, the market time, marketplace, and uh, he would, you know, his teaching was basically laughter and uh, people would stop and say, who's this funny fellow? He hasn't got much, but he's obviously content and happy. And in his sackcloth, he would have uh, clothes and food which had been donated and 
candies and toys for the children which he would hand out to the children. So he was often seen as being followed by a gaggle of children as he came into the marketplace. And um, so it, it's, it's, you know, there are um, quite a number of these eccentric uh, Zen monks in the, in the Buddhist tradition who would uh, go on pilgrimages or wanderings, who wouldn't just remain in the monastery facing the wall. And it's nice that we have these, this pantheon of different uh, models of how to practice. So um, I'm sure the, the wandering eccentric a monk with a sackcloth and who enjoys the pleasures of life would appeal to some of us in this room. Certainly does appeal to me. Um, and in some ways, the, uh, he's a nice counterbalance to the traditional sort of fears stern, disciplined approach to Zen practice that we often come across uh, in, in traditional Zen practice and was, was also brought to the West uh, in, 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 in certain uh, teachers here. And um, there's a famous little story that goes with Hotai, um, a, a monk who was dressed very formally came up to him in the marketplace one day and asked him the question, what is the meaning of Zen? Is the kind of question you ask. And he immediately put down his, his sackcloth, his bag that he was carrying. Uh, and then the, the, the monk said, what is the practice of Zen? And then immediately picked up his sackcloth, put it on his back and started walking. That's a Hotai Koyan. Uh, would anybody like to make a comment on, on, on that? What's this? One way of interpreting putting down his bag, putting from a Zen point of view. Yeah. It's that now we say you know, holding holding on to things, you know, just letting go. So put, put down. And um, and then when he was asked, how do you practice Zen, how to actualize Zen in everyday life, he picked it up again and started walking. What would be an interpretation of that? Maybe. But well, that's a nice way, I haven't thought about that one, but that's, um, yeah, I like that. Thanks. Get on with it. Yeah, 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 nice. Yeah. Um, that's another kind of interpretation, just, well, just do the next thing that you have to do, yeah. And, um, and um, also there's a, in my teacher's Zendo in New York, he has, um, he has a, a, a brush painting um, with some calligraphy of uh, Hotai. And, uh, and the calligraphy um, reads, Mind like tofu. In a square bowl it is square, in a round bowl it is round. So this is kind of like a metaphor for describing the mind of Hotai. Mm. And uh, so it's that flexibility to be one with our circumstances. So we can be one, surely, yeah, with our pain sometimes, but we can also be one with the pleasures of life too. And having it all round so that um, we don't... Uh, um, um, 
Another one of my favourite uh, lines from my teacher Barry Majid is that um, um, suffering is not overcome um, by renouncing pleasure. So, um, you know, that brings to mind the Greek philosopher um, um, Epicurus. He was a so like sometimes you get in, the, in that sense of stoicism in Zen, you know, sort of like you know, push through it, that kind of thing. That's the kind of stoic kind of attitude. If you, you talk about Greek philosophy, but there was this other philosopher, uh, ancient Greek philosopher called Epicurus, who founded the school of Epicureanism, which was he saw life being all about the appreciation of pleasure. Uh, but that, but that he meant like bringing a kind of wisdom to how we how we how we relate to pleasure in our lives. Um, so yeah, in, enjoy a nice bottle of red or a nice bottle of wine, but don't, you don't necessarily have to wipe yourself out. And, um, and, and enjoy all the, all the senses, all the, all the pleasures that come through our senses. And, um, and it, even, even, even with Joko Beck sometimes, um, in her teaching, Sometimes she places an emphasis more on the the difficulty of practice and the pain of practice, and um, she was fond of saying um, the line, "Don't do this practice unless you absolutely have to," you know. And um, whereas, as um, again, as Barry suggests, maybe we could balance that out by saying. Don't do this practice unless you enjoy it. You know, we're not just we're also here to enjoy this practice and to enjoy the way it helps us live our lives with much much lightness and ease. Well, we don't carry our burdens so heavily that um, that we carry our preferences lightly. That if we prefer vanilla ice cream to chocolate ice cream that when there's no chocolate ice cream, sorry, when there's no vanilla ice cream left, that we can appreciate the chocolate ice cream, that we're not going to get upset if we don't get our vanilla ice cream. So to, to appreciate what we have and, um, and to be wise in our enjoyment in the pleasures of life, that Zen itself should also embody the values of play. Eh? Play is an end in itself to watch children playing. What we're doing here is a form of play. We're here to enjoy ourselves, and to enjoy the sitting, to enjoy the walking, to enjoy the readings, to enjoy each other's company, to enjoy each moment. So I wish you all a happy Christmas and a happy new year, and please enjoy yourselves. <laughs> mm-hmm.